So my personal belief is that we are inherently worthy of everything it is we want. And that is universal regardless that that the moment we were born, that was the only qualification we needed to meet in order to have a beautiful life was showing up on the planet, assuming a body, right? I'm like, Mm. if you were like, have I done enough? I'm like, if you're here, you've done enough to be deserving of a beautiful life, to be deserving Mm. of having your desires met, to be deserving of ease and of joy and fulfillment. Welcome to the Unconditionally Worthy Podcast. In this podcast, I will guide you on your journey to connect with the true source of your self-worth. Each week, we'll discuss barriers to unconditional self-worth, the connection between self-worth and relationships, self-worth practices you can apply to your life, and how to use self-worth as a foundation for living courageously. I'm your host, Dr. Adia Gooden, a licensed clinical psychologist, dance enthusiast, and a dark chocolate lover who believes deeply that you are worthy unconditionally. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. You know, I am just so grateful that I get to do this Um, as part of my work. I am really honored to have the guests that I have on this podcast, and it lights me up to have these thoughtful and intentional conversations about our life and self-worth and all the many things that we navigate. And so I'm grateful for you for to you for listening. That really means a lot to me. Um, and my hope as always is that these episodes are incredibly helpful to you on your self-worth journey. So my guest today is Jamila Reddy, and we have a really thoughtful conversation about lifestyle design, designing your life and how that intersects with claiming your worth and how we can own our desires and tolerate disappointment. And it's an incredibly powerful and shifting conversation that I know you're going to get so much out of. We talk a lot about sort of self-care and practices that help us to prepare for the game of life, prepare to play full out in the game of life so that when we get bumps and bruises and experience challenges, we can navigate those with grace and not take ourselves out of the game and not just keep ourselves, leaves ourselves on the sidelines because we're afraid of the challenges that may come. I want to remind you that I have a course called Date Yourself, Four Weeks to a Healthy Relationship with You, which is really all about building a healthy relationship with yourself and building some of these capacities and skills to help you play full out in the game of life. So you're going to be dropping self-criticism, with, which often keeps us on the sidelines. You're going to learn the practices of self-compassion, which help to soothe you and regulate your nervous system and calm you and help you tune into yourself so you know what you want and you know what you need and you're taking care of yourself. And then you're also going to learn how to engage in sustainable and personalized self-care, right? Figuring out what you need to take care of yourself and then engaging in an actionable plan to integrate that into your life. That's what you what you learn and what you're guided through in my course, Date Yourself, Four Weeks to a Healthy Relationship with You. So if this conversation that I have with Jamila resonates with you, I encourage you to follow her, check out her resources. And I also encourage you to check out my course, Date Yourself, Four Weeks to a Healthy Relationship with You. It'll be linked in the show notes. You can learn more about it if that seems like something that would be helpful in you playing your life full out. Let's get into the show. I am very excited to welcome Jamila Reddy to the podcast today. Jamila is a manifestation coach, well-being educator, and breathwork slash meditation guide whose mission is to live well and support people in creating lives they love, weaving together ancient wisdom, psychology, neuroscience, and interior design. Jamila shares tools and techniques that all people can use to navigate transformation and experience more peace, joy, and fulfillment in their lives. Jamila has spoken for TEDx, Facebook, Google, Afropunk, Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health, the Loveland Foundation, and more. And I am so excited to have Jamila on the podcast because 
I have been following her on Instagram and I get her emails and everything she shares just feels really authentic and um, guides us into deeper wisdom. And so I'm really excited to have you on the podcast today sharing your wisdom with us. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. Well, I would love to start our conversation where I start all of our conversations on this podcast, which is by asking you to share a bit about your own self-worth journey. Okay. I mean, it's a long, I'm like, where do I begin? I think (laughs) self-worth journey, I mean, it begins in childhood, right? Like I think Mm -hmm. as we are children and we start to come into just knowing ourselves and noticing our differences. And so I grew up in the South. I grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, and was in predominantly white spaces uh, in school. And I was considered academically gifted, which put me into, you know, a certain level of classes where most of my peers in school were white. And Mm -hmm. I participated in extracurriculars like ballet and Mm -hmm. swimming and theater um, and choir, most of which were um, predominantly white spaces. And so my sense of self-worth as a kid was largely defined by feeling othered in a lot of, Mm. othered around my peers, was wholly and totally loved and embraced by my parents and my family, affirmed, you know, I mean, my parents Mm. so affirming. I felt... um, you know, I, I I had a sense of internal worthiness that felt um, I felt confused about being mm. different. That made me um, not necessarily feel unworthy, but definitely self conscious. And I think mm. that self consciousness um, over time can sort of erode your sense of self worth. And mm. so my you know my early my teenage years and early twenties. Um, was a process of getting comfortable with myself and celebrating all of the things that make me unique and doing a lot of unlearning of the Mm. patterns and habits of behavior that I adopted when I felt different, Um, when Mm. I felt hyper visible, you know, when you're the only one in the room in the South, they call it the fly in the buttermilk. So when you're the fly in the buttermilk and everybody can mm. see, I wanted to either hide, like I mm-hmm. really wanted to shrink into the background, or I wanted to be excellent. I really mm. wanted to be star. Like if everyone's going to be looking, I want to give yep. them something to see. And so mm-hmm. I had years, still to this day, to sort of chip away at that, um, at those patterns of perfectionism and mm. pleasing. And also kind of um, shrinking into the background. And so, yeah, I'm still, I'm still working on, um, on freeing myself. You know, I sometimes will call myself a recovering perfectionist. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I have to constantly to this day give myself permission to show up authentically. Um, but I know that that impulse to sort of be impressive has deep roots in my childhood. Mm. That was something I needed to do to be safe and to be welcome and to be accepted. Hmm. Thank you for sharing that. I think, you know, your experience definitely resonates with me and I know that it'll resonate with the people listening because yeah, these sort of like, oh, the perfectionism, the standing out, the sort of tension, I think so many black women experience in particular, this, you know, invisibility and hypervisibility and the sort of tension between experiencing both of those things. Sometimes ironically, kind of at the same time, it's like people really see you, but they don't really see you. Um, You know, intonation matters there. Right. And I, you know, I even was thinking when you said the fly in the buttermilk, I've heard that phrase before, but what came to me when you shared it was like, oh, and inherently, if you have a fly in the buttermilk, that's a problem, right? Right? You don't want it there. You don't want to fly in your buttermilk. You want to get it out. It's, 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 it's messing up the situation, right? Like it's disturbing something, right? It may have ruined or spoiled something, right? So inherently in that 
message or that feeling of being the fly in the buttermilk, it's like there's a problem with me being here. And that may be sometimes communicated explicitly, but often it's communicated implicitly. And it felt it's more felt. I mean, people were so kind to me. I was never in spaces where, mm. were, you know, as a child, you know, my teachers were kind and loving. Um, but there were, you know, there were some, you know, little microaggressions like, oh, you read so well. You're so articulate. You know, like mm-hmm. those little things where I was like, oh, you know, there's, I wanted to be, you know, that's where I wanted to be impressive. Because I'm like, oh, people are somehow you know, looking at me differently, not necessarily treating me poorly, but mm-hmm. I the, the unspoken, you know, the unspoken narrative or question of like, I kind of feel like I don't belong. Mm. Um, I, I think belonging was something that I was seeking for many, many years. And I'm grateful now mm. that I feel a really profound sense of belonging in my chosen family and communities that mm. I'm but yeah, it's like even if it's sometimes the treatment is not aligned with the feeling, you know, it's right. like I was, nobody was mean to me, you know, my, my people weren't mean to me, um, mm-hmm. but I definitely felt other. <laughs> hmm. Mm-hmm. And that I mean, I think that disconnect between how people are treating you on the surface and how you feel yes. can be a little crazy making yes. <laughs> because yes. you're like, well, is it just me or or is this true or am I overreacting or what? You know, it's like that can be so hard. And I think as kids, we're most likely to conclude, oh, it is me. Right. I do have to change. I have to do be, feel like I belong. I need to change myself or, you know, whatever it is. And so I think that's why naming the experience and, you know, the microaggressions and all of those pieces of feeling like all of you isn't accepted is so important so that we're not feeling like, oh, I have to change in order for that acceptance to happen. Because maybe you can, you can fade into the buttermilk, you can disappear, but you're still not going to feel fully accepted. Yeah. Or, I mean, or fulfilled. I mean, how could you, no. I think if you're not being yourself, there, there can no. be, that to me is just a major barrier to like joy and fulfillment and well-being. Like that to me is a slow death of the spirit is to mm. not authentically, like how could there be joy if you're living your whole life in a performance? So mm. I have to go. What? Yeah. Slow death of unfulfillment. Is that, is that what you said? It was really I, like. Yes. Powerful. Of the spirit. I mean, of the, of soul. the spirit. There we go. Yes. You know, yeah. Like a spiritual, you know, when I think about holistic well-being, I think mm. a lot about, you know, the obvious, we think about our mental health and we think about our physical health. But for me, there's like a spiritual well-being or like a soul. My friend, my beloved mm. friend calls it like, you know, he says like on a cellular level, like instead of a cellular level. on a I cell- love it. Like on a cellular level. If you're not being mm. you are, that to me puts a cap on the amount of well-being you can experience. You're, mm. you're this kind of animating life force that makes you you, that makes each of us uniquely who we are. If that part of us is like suppressed, I mm. think there's just absolutely a limit to the amount of joy and fulfillment we can feel. I completely agree. And what it's making me think about is a lot, there's a lot of sort of like, you know, like funny memes or sort of narratives around like self-care these days. And it's like, oh, self-care. It's just like another checkbox. It's another like, there's all this like people are creating a life that looks really good on the outside, but they're miserable. And I think that the missing piece is what you're talking about, which is are you fulfilled at a soul level? Are you happy? Are you, you know, I talk about it as sort of, are you grounded in your worthiness? And I think we're missing that ingredient because we're not talking about that, right? That you could have the job that looks good with a good salary, have the partner that looks good with it, you know, whatever, have the kids, have the house, have the, you could have all of those things and still feel miserable if at a cellular level, where where you're not sort of aligned with what you're meant to be doing, with how you're meant to be living, with what actually fills you up, nourishes you, brings you joy. And I think that that is this piece that's sort of missing from our conversations about how to build a life that's 
fulfilling and sustainable and what we really want, not just the sort of outside of it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I always tell my, something I offer, and this is a, you know, I'll offer it to everyone listening and to you is that, you know, when we're thinking about the things we're calling in, you know, I, I like to, you know, I teach and coach on manifestation. And so a lot of times we, um, people are super focused on the goal, like the external desire, like you said, the house, the kids, the car, the job, but behind every, or not even behind, but at the core of everything we want is a feeling. You want the Mm. house so you can feel safe and stable and rested. You want the Mm. partner so you can feel loved and supported and connected. You want the children so you can feel purposeful and a sense of belonging which all of those things we have access to without the external, you know, we get Mm -hmm. hyper-focused on what the external thing is, but it's like, no, you can have the house, but not feel secure Mm -hmm. or supported, like you said. And so, you know, I remind people when you're manifesting, know what's at the heart of your desires, what's at the core, how do you get to the essential nature of what you want so that you can start infusing your life with that essential nature before the external manifests. So it's like, Mm -hmm. I don't have time to wait for children to feel a sense of purpose. So what can Mm -hmm. I do in my life just as it is to infuse that value and infuse that feeling, I call it a feelings goal. I'm like, make a list of your, Mm -hmm. what are all of the ways that you want to feel? Because that's, what's really important. It's like, don't get it twisted. Like a lot of times we think the external things, when I get it, then I'm going to feel the way I want to feel. And I'm like, actually Mm -hmm. facing the thing, follow the feeling. Mm -hmm. I love that. And my understanding, I'm not an expert in manifestation, but my understanding is that the more you can tune into and feel those feelings now, the more you're on the right vibration in alignment with what you are wanting to attract and bring into your life. So it's more likely to happen more quickly. It is going to come. And then I think from the perspective of self-worth, if you're not feeling worthy of Mm. the connection, of the grounding, of the abundance, of whatever – it is going to be harder to feel into it. It's going to be also harder to receive it and accept it. And so if you're sort of noticing like, ooh, like I don't know if I feel worthy of connection or I'm scared of connection because I don't believe that people will love and accept me, then it's like, okay, so then there's some work that we can do now with you loving and accepting yourself and offering that to yourself and leaning into the fact that you're worthy. And then that's going to help you get into that vibration and attract those things. And again, as you're saying, not wait for them to be sort of far off um, and, and have them now create them in your life now. Yeah, exactly. Right. This is making me think, or I think it's connected to some of the work that you do around lifestyle design and sort of guiding people to intentionally design their lives. And I think there are links with what we're talking about now and also where we started with sort of when we can be in a space of sort of reacting to what other people want from us into performing what other people, what other people will approve of and how that can be sort of the opposite of intentionally creating and designing the life we want. So I'd love for you to talk about what lifestyle design is and then kind of how you encourage people to think about that for themselves. Mm, Yes. So lifestyle design is a framework that I created to understand some of the pillars, and I call them the pillars, of a fulfilling life, of a joyful, fulfilling life. And I love the language of design because to me, it makes me think of a creative practice. And I Mm. encourage people to see your life as a creative practice, to see yourself as the creator over your life that each of us have within us, we just come into the world with this inherent creative power and ability to shape our lived experience. It doesn't necessarily mean that we can control our circumstance, right? Like there has to be some 
you know, acknowledgement of the very real social, political, environmental, economic realities. And regardless of what is happening around you or even to you, there is a creative life force that exists within that we can tap into to shift the experience we're having in every moment, moment to moment, every single day, but in our life at at large. And so lifestyle design is a practice of seeing your life as your masterpiece. Like if you are the Mm. artist, your life is your most magnificent creation and you get to put your style on it. Like you get to really Mm. design it. However, according to your preferences, according to what like you said, what lights you up. And so lifestyle design is the process of creating, intentionally creating a life that lights you up. And design, the word design comes from a word meaning to decide. So you can even hear mm. decide, design. And so when you're designing an experience, what you're doing is deciding what it's going to be like. And so mm. to be a lifestyle designer is to just make choices is just to be in the choice making chair of what how what choice do i want to make of just recognizing your absolute inner authority and power to make choices about the way you do your life it's not necessarily the what like i get you know mm-hmm. like sometimes you know i have friends who like live with chronic illness and it's like no mm-hmm. you know these people didn't choose they didn't choose to have lupus or, you know, or to have like migraines every day, but you can choose the way you move through your life, the way you, like you said, respond to it. And so it's kind of a, it's a framework and a, it's a way of seeing yourself and a way of moving through the world um, with an empowered perspective, with an understanding of your, of yourself as a, as a creator. Mm. Um, and with, um, like, it's just a permission slip to create a life that is based on what you enjoy, really, truly mm. what you enjoy. Like, enjoyment is absolutely crucial. And so it's, you know, it's, to, and I think for me, there can be no holistic well-being without joy, without happiness. Mm. And so to be the lifestyle designer is to actually create your masterpiece based on like, you know, I might have a friend who like really likes hot pinks and neons. And I'm like, you know what? That's cool for your design, but my design is going to look like this. And so it's really like knowing what is authentic to you. Like what, Mm -hmm. what do you like and creating your masterpiece based on your authentic preferences and desires? Mm. I love that so much. I mean, I think it, there's a couple of things that come up for me. So one is the intentionality Right. And it's, you know, one of the things I've been realizing for my own life recently is like I was having a conversation over my birthday brunch and a friend asked me a question like, when do you work? When do you do the best type of work? And da, da, da. And I was like, oh, like part of my problem is that I'm reactively creating my schedule. It's like, oh, these are the meetings people have asked me for or these are the times. And then I'm like fitting myself around it. And I'm like, that's a problem. That's part of why I feel stressed. And, you know, and so it's like the intentionality of designing and deciding proactively to say, hey, here's the schedule that I want. And here is, you know, what I want my home space to look like. And here's the relationships that I want. And so I love that sort of taking and owning your power as a creator and then deciding. And and some of what's involved in that is actually slowing down to tune into what do you want, right? I think some of us can get so caught up in sort of a victim mentality, right? And that's not to say that there aren't experiences and traumas and systems that can victimize us, right? Or that can be oppressive. And we always have some agency and choice. And we often have more agency and choice than we think we have, right? You gave the example of a chronic illness or, you know, things like that. And you know, my daughter has, you know, she has sickle cell, right? So sometimes that means we have to go to the hospital and it's really frustrating and it's really disruptive. And I, you know, I I can still choose how I show up for and with her in those moments, for and with myself, for and with my partner and in the hospital. Like I can still choose 
what do I like go kicking and screaming and frustrate and vent? And that's okay if I'm frustrated and that's, that's valid. But do I create a bunch of suffering around this experience or do I sort of move with it with grace, with presence, with compassion, right? And so I think that powerful place of saying, hey, you know, I'm not going to be, you know, at the mercy of my life. I'm going to be a creator in my life. And that doesn't mean I'm controlling everything. It means that I move with intention um, and thoughtfulness that I'm making decisions about what I want my life to look like and how I want to kind of engage in the process of my life is what I hear you saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. And the, you know, my mind is always going to worthiness stuff. So I'd love to hear, I have thoughts, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about how you think sort of people, you know, claiming their role as a creator in their life and designing their life connects to people claiming their worth and owning the fact that they're worthy. Yes. So uh, my personal belief is that we are inherently worthy of everything it is we want. And that is universal regardless that that the moment we were born, that was the only qualification we needed to meet in order to have a beautiful life was showing up on the planet, assuming a body, right? I'm like, mm. if people are like, have I done enough? I'm like, if you're here, you've done enough to be deserving of a beautiful life, to be deserving mm. of having your desires met, to be deserving of ease and of joy and fulfillment. I'm like, that's it. You just were born. Like you already, every qualification you needed to met, it happened on whatever your birthday was. That's when you fulfilled the only thing you needed to fulfill in order to be (laughs) worthy is to be alive. To me, to be Mm. a human being alive is the source of your worthiness. And so for me, I see that, you know, my humanity is the only requirement that I needed to meet in order to be deserving of everything that I want. Um, Mm. And that I also believe that part of why we assume a body, why we are born is to live well, is to Mm. live, to live well and to live fully and to fulfill our unique mission, whatever our mission is on this planet. I think each and every person has a unique mission that only they can fulfill. And that fulfilling that mission is also a source of our joy. Um, And so I think the way that worthiness connects to lifestyle design is, is it's giving yourself permission to have what it is you want. Whatever mm. it is, I, I think about, you know, I have this, this concept that I like to use called the highest vision, which is like, what is your mm. most like, you know, I always ask my clients, if you had a magic wand and you could really just wave, um, if you had magic powers and you could say, this is the, if I had unlimited money, unlimited resources, unlimited whatever I needed, no obstacles, you know, every, every obstacle banished, unlimited resources, what life would you, what, what would you create? And nine out of 10 times people are like, I'd be like doing my purpose work, have a nice house. I'm like a magic wand. You're over here talking about like a house and like, you know, you're like your little, your little project. Like it's so sweet. Mm. I'm like, wow. Like the highest vision that we have for our lives is so within reach. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. Never asked the person that question. And they're like, I would take over the world. Like, no, <laughs> no one has ever said anything beyond like, these are the, these are the conditions that need to be met in order for me to feel like a sense of thriving, hmm. a sense of like, you know, an absence of regret. And so hmm. for me, the, like the highest vision is like, that is actually let the highest vision. When you think about what, what would I do? what would I do if I actually had unlimited resources and no obstacles whatsoever? That is what you're creating. I'm like, that's your design. That's the blueprint. That's Mm -hmm. the vision. Mm -hmm. And so what you're doing with all of the work, you know, the work is closing the gap between the highest vision and your current reality. And worthiness is just knowing that like, you don't have to work for it, prove yourself worthy of it. You don't have to do more to be deserving. It's like, no, you actually can just have it. You've done Mm -hmm. enough. You've done Mm -hmm. enough. And, you know, I'm like assuming most of the people who are listening to this, to this conversation, 
you're, they're not terrible people. I don't know that I've necessarily been terrible people. I believe in, I believe in everyone's inherent goodness and that people have terrible things happen to them and they develop, mm-hmm. you know, they react to their circumstance and their experiences and, you know, hurt people, hurt people. Um, and I think that like believing that you are allowed to have what you want and that you don't have to like jump through hoops to get it, to have it, that you mm-hmm. can just have it because you want it. Right. Like that. It's like, you can have it because you want it and you're deserving of it because you're alive. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with your definition of worthiness. I love it. Right. The only criteria is being alive. And I think that a lot of what you're saying is, you know, it's countercultural, right? Like we don't, at least in the U.S., live in a culture that says you deserve it, especially if you are, you know, BIPOC, a woman, right? Like trans, right? Like, especially if you are not fitting into the dominant sort of mainstream um, upper class, right? Mm-hmm. It- that says, no, you, you're not really supposed to want things. And if you, and, and only the people, only the white, wealthy, straight, you know, upper class men, those are cis men. Those are the people who can want and expect to have. Mm -hmm. Right. But almost everyone else, right. Many other people who fall outside of that, like you're not expected to want, right. Like we see that in even the narratives of like, oh, they're using food stamps to buy lobster and steak. Right. Right. Like, well, how dare they want good food? Right. Like, how dare they want it? Right. Like, they better have work requirements. You better work for it. Right. Like this, this narrative. Right. Like we that's like we see it in large and small ways. And sometimes it's in our families. Right. If you grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of financial resources, like you may have learned not to want things, right? Because you knew that the response was a parent who was already stressed, maybe already overworked, stretching, trying to make make the needs met, maybe graciously said, hey, you can't have that toy because we just don't have money, or maybe snapped at you, right? Because they felt some kind of way that they couldn't give you a toy and work, right? Like, And so there's lots of messages about not wanting. Yes. And I think- you know, for those of us who are women of color, BIPOC, it's like you may have been socialized into not wanting. Right. And so even claiming your wanting and your desire is powerful, right. right? Like even saying, I want that. Yes. Like that's something that I desire and that I want and that that wanting can be affirmed and it is okay and it's not a burden to anyone is a powerful step into sort of designing your life because so many of us it's like well what what does everybody else want what does everybody else want to eat what does everybody else want to do what does everybody else want to see right and so it's like well and sometimes people need a practice of tuning into their wanting i even sometimes start with like tuning into your needing like when are you hungry (laughs) when do you need to rest When do you need, right? Like tuning into your needing and then we can go tuning into your desires and wanting and owning them and starting to fulfill them even in small ways to help you build up to, yeah, actually I, I, I do want some big things and I'm worthy of them and I'm going to, you know, put myself in a place and sort of take the action that is aligned, not, you know, overworking, but to make those things happen in my life or to call them in. Being so socialized out of wanting is so real. And so, you know, as a recovering people pleaser, I've had to give myself a lot of permission to put my desires and my needs first. I mean, I had this, you know, I'm like, oh, there's this like, um, this like cultural narrative of like, the, like I'm just so chill, like being so chill and easygoing. Mm. Like, oh, she's so easy. Like she's so agreeable. Like that's kind of a like positive mm-hmm. thing. That it's like, especially for like women, black women, especially mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, you know, she's easy. You know what I mean? Mm. You don't want to ruffle any feathers. Like you said, you don't want to be a burden because we're socialized to be the help. <laughs> so what the hell go wrong? 
you know, you're not supposed to want nothing. So I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. to barely even get paid. You're not even really supposed to want it. You're supposed to do it out of the goodness of your heart okay. and your generosity exactly. and smile. And you love, you know, right. yes, exactly. To make everyone else around you feel comfortable and accommodated. And so I've had mm. to engage in a very deep process of like reclaiming what I call like being picky. I'm like, oh, I love being picky and particular because what that means in real time is that I, you know, my desires are non-negotiable. Mm. I always tell my clients to see your desires as needs of your spirit. Mm. Because something that your heart wants more than anything, imagine getting to the end of your God-willing long life without it. I mean, how could you be? I'm like, that just isn't thriving. Like desires are needs of the heart. So we're like, oh, as long as you have, if you got a roof over your head, you have, a, you know, got, you know, 32 ounces of water in the day and, a, and enough, you know, food not to wither away. That's supposed to be enough. It's supposed to be enough. And any, and desires are seen as frivolous or mm. extra, like, oh, well, why do you want that? Like I had someone once ask me, you know, I feel like, I feel like I, like, I really want to do this, but I, I don't need it. And so I feel bad for wanting it. And I'm like, start to, if, you know, if you could just try to see everything you want as a need of your heart, mm. need of your soul, then I think that is where that permission comes from. I'm like, no, I don't have to DJ. I don't have to do, I'm not going to die if I don't play a set on a boat somewhere at sunset. I'm not going to die. But that's just something my heart wants. I can't, like, I can't get rid of it. Mm. So when I think about, like, whenever I'm doing my, like, yearly goals, I'm like, man, I really want to DJ a set. Like, that's really what I want to do. It's a source of joy. And so to me, my joy is a need. That's not, Mm. my desires are not frivolous and negotiable. Like, oh, well, if I'm not going to die in its absence, then I can just forget about it. No, that is absolutely essential to my holistic well-being and I'm, mm. I'm going to give myself to be particular. And I think that, you know, to me, contentment and fulfillment happens in the micro. It's in the everything. Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not this really big, like, what is the picture of your life? It's like, I have a, the same cup of tea every morning because I love it. Mm. I love it. I'm like Earl Grey with a little milk and honey. It just delights me. And so mm. like raising my, the sources of my delight, putting them a little bit higher up on my, on the hierarchy. Like we think about, you know, there's like a hierarchy of needs and it's like, okay, mm. I don't, I don't need, you know, I don't know the things that I want. I don't need them. I just want them that there's a separation of wanting and needing. And what I always invite people to do is see if you can do away with that distinction and start to mm. see everything you want as like essential to your fulfillment which is to me, I'm like, how could that be? How could that be optional? Hmm. If you are inherently worthy, which you are, how could your fulfillment be optional? It just doesn't, I, it, the math ain't mathing. I'm like, <laughs> I can't make sense of it. Like I can't make sense of not having what you want, especially when it's so possible, mm-hmm. when it's available to you, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think of two things. So one is, so you sort of mentioned like being easy. So like, I have never been someone who was able to be easy. Okay, (laughs) I probably have tried, but I'm, I'm, I've sort of, you know, experienced the people being like, you're kind of difficult yeah, and you're kind of too much, too much. That was like a feeling of like all throughout my childhood. And then I would sort of like, try to like, okay, like let's this time, you know, not super conscious, but like, let's keep it, tone it down. And then I'd be like at parties in my early twenties debating about feminism and like arguing with people. It's like, I couldn't. And then I left and I was like, oh, like I did it again, but it's like, I couldn't, I just couldn't, I couldn't contain myself. And so in some ways there's like this beauty of that. I also then struggled with feeling like I'm too much for people. People don't really like me. Like, so there's, there's sort of like different ways that we navigate that. And so I guess to the listener, some, you, some of you may have been sort of closer to my experience of like, you just couldn't keep yourself small and you kept busting out. And then people were kind of communicating like, 
Mm, could you be a little smaller? And mm. some of you may have made yourselves very small. And now it's sort of this process of like, okay, let's make yourself big. Let's take yeah. up space, right? Like let's be full, right? Like all of that. And so we come to this, we, we have different responses and experiences on this journey. The other thing that I, I was thinking about when you were sharing is how experiencing disappointment and not being willing to tolerate or not able to tolerate or not having the tools to tolerate and move through that experience can shut down wanting. It's like, well, I'm never going to ask you for anything again. I don't care. Right? Like that sort of hardness that we develop of like, I asked you for something you didn't, you disappointed me. You didn't show up for me. That's it. I'm done. Yeah, Yeah. it's cool. It's cool. That's fine. Right? Like we know, I think especially in the black community, like when someone says, that's cool. No, I'm good. Yeah, no, I'm good. You're good. It's shutting down. (laughs) Like, it's over. And it's not cool. In fact, not cool. Okay. (laughs) Not cool. Not cool. So, you know, just part of, I think, Mm -hmm. being willing to claim your desires is also being willing to move through disappointment when it comes, because it'll come. And not feeling like it's the end of the world, not feeling like because I was disappointed or someone wasn't able to show up or I didn't get this thing that that means I'm unworthy. I, you know, love the tool of self-compassion. I don't know for you, it might be breath work, right? But you know what I mean? It's like being able to give space to the disappointment and acknowledge that the disappointment reflects your desire not being met, but doesn't mean that you had, there was a problem with your desire. It's a human experience that we, you know, need to learn to move through. And that I think that if we know that we can face disappointment and accept it and move through it, then it's easier also to claim our wants because we know even if it doesn't happen, I'm not going to fall apart. It's not the end of the world, right? Like it is disappointing. I can deal with the disappointment and I can keep wanting and desiring and move forward. That's exactly right. And it's, and that language of, of being able to tolerate the disappointment, because in the pursuit of a life that lights you up, you are going to face a whole host is disappointment, fear, anxiety, sadness. I mean, there's like difficult emotions are an inevitable part of, of being alive. And this is something, you know, I don't know if how much of you know my story, but from 2016 to 2018, I experienced back-to-back losses of some loved ones, of two beloved friends who died by Mm. suicide, and then my sister who passed suddenly, and then my Mm. father who died of a cancer journey. And I, what what those truly traumatic experiences revealed to me is that uncomfortable feelings are an inevitable part of being alive. And I Mm. had spent so many years living in avoidance of uncomfortable feelings. I don't want to leap because what if I'm embarrassed or what if I fall and it hurts or what if I leap and I, and the net doesn't catch me and I'm disappointed or what if I suffer from yearning? So I'm just not going to, you know what? I'm just going to keep it. I'm just going to, I'm just going to be easygoing, totally okay Mm. with whatever happens. Very neutral, very, you know, this kind of like false, like being okay Mm. with whatever life throws my way. Like, I don't really care how it turns out. Attitude was actually a defense mechanism to protect me against emotional discomfort. And what I mm. learned through journeying with grief, there is no protection. There is mm. no protection from emotional distress and discomfort. That is a hard pill to swallow, but I can absolutely guarantee that every single human past, present, and future is going to experience emotional distress emotional difficulty. You cannot avoid it. So I'm like, oh, the playing small so that you don't get your feelings hurt. Your feelings are going to get hurt, babe. They're going to get hurt. Whether or not it's because you didn't get what you wanted in the pursuit or because your loved ones are going to transition into the ancestor realm because that is the cycle of life and death. And so because difficult emotions are an inevitable part of the human experience, What a gift you can offer yourself to learn how to tolerate them so that you can be with them. And another thing I learned is that they're temporary. I Mm -hmm. thought for sure the grief was going to take me under. I just knew it. I was Mm -hmm. like, I, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to die, but I wanted to like 
disappear. Like I just, there were moments where I was Mm. like, just Mm. fingers and just take a break, just take a break because it was so Mm. intense that I was, it felt I was unable to tolerate it. But what I did was breathe Mm. and wait until the feeling passed. Mm. I'm like, oh, it's like having a guest walk in your front door with a machete and you're like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going to die. And then you look the guest in the face and you breathe. Mm. And after a few moments, they let themselves out the same way they came. Mm. But people are, we're boarding the doors. We're like, you know, all of the arms. We're, it's like, no, baby. take mm. a, I mean, and it seems so simple, but breathing saved me. That is why I teach meditation mm. work, because these are the tools that I use to tolerate. And by tolerate, I mean, be with the momentary, temporary discomfort of emotional distress. That is one of my greatest superpowers. Oh, I'm going to sit with mm. you. Oh, mm. best you can believe what I'm going to do is absolutely drop into a diaphragmatic breath and breathe through the discomfort until it passes. Because then I can, you know, I was going to, I don't know what I was doing the other day, but I was like, I feel nervous. I was about to teach or speak. Or who, I don't even remember. I don't even remember what it was, but I just, you know, I was like, ah, the anxiety. And I'm like, what I know to be true is that I can make it to the other side of this. Like I, I, I know how to be with the discomfort long enough to pursue what it is I want and not let, not live in avoidance of emotional distress. I think that's what a lot of people are doing is like, how do I minimize the likelihood that I'm going to experience an uncomfortable feeling like disappointment or hurt or, or grief or um, anxiety. How do I, we're designing our lives based on mm-hmm. how to minimize the chances for me to feel bad. And so what I learned is like, you could spend your precious resources and your creative power trying to avoid emotional discomfort or you could spend that same energy trying to maximize emotional well-being and fulfillment. It's the same amount of energy, actually, and it can't be avoided. I'm like, it's a frivolous effort. You Speaking from experience, I tried. Oh, how I tried. Mm. I tried so hard not to feel uncomfortable feelings. Guess what? Mm. You can't. And so knowing that I can, I'm like, oh, what I can do is offer myself tools and practices and strategies is to establish an extensive toolkit of resources, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual resources that help me tolerate the inevitable discomfort of being a human on the planet. Mm. I'm like, that's why self-care. To me, it's like that is a, and that's why I, you know, I talk about joy as preventative medicine. And I talk about these mm. as a proactive coping strategy, that the more you have joy and ease as your baseline, that that's nine out of 10 days, I got joy and ease and fulfillment as my baseline. So when something happens where it's like, ouch, not mm. the joy, I know for sure what I'm getting back to is joy as a baseline because I've designed my life to have that be my home base. And Mm. so that like the not being able to tolerate is something we can change. It's something we have absolute control over. You can build your tolerance. You can increase your capacity through like practicing, taking a deep breath, through rest, through joy, Mm. through letting yourself be supported, through delegating. Like there are things that increase your capacity to be able to face life head on and not live in avoidance of hardship. So like that is within our control. Mm. Oh, I love that. I am so grateful that you shared your experience of grief and losing people really close to you because I think it could be easy for people to listen to you talking about designing your life and creating your life and joy and make the conclusion, the erroneous conclusion that, well, everything must be easy for her. Erroneous. 
right? Like everything must be fine, right? Like just, you know what I mean? And so I'm so glad that you shared it. And I agree with you, right? We could, like the image I got when you were talking was you could make your house, right? If your metaphorical house is your life, Mm. a cylinder, you know, uh, a concrete cylinder box with like slit windows. So nothing can get in. No one can see you. You can't see out to the mess of the world, right? And so you're protected and defended, but then you don't see the world, right? And maybe you never leave because if you leave, then something might happen, right? And so we could try to avoid it. But when we avoid the challenges of life, we also cut ourselves off from the richness, right? Like you cannot have connection and acceptance and rich, nourishing relationships without the risk of rejection, You just cannot have it, right? And so it's like embracing this full life experience as you're saying, giving room, right? Like part of what I was hearing is like giving space, giving breath to the hard things and making room for the good things. That's when we're living life full out. That's when we're thriving. That's when life is vibrant. And when we're playing small, when we're playing in protection mode, when we're trying to avoid the challenges of life, we still experience the challenges of life and we experience fewer joys and fewer, less aliveness, right? And so it's like, Actually, this this game that you try to play that your mind convinces you to try to just keep yourself safe results in a life full of regrets, full right. of like, I didn't take that chance. I That's didn't right. make that connection. I didn't go for that. I didn't prioritize my wants, mm-hmm. right? And so it's like, if you're going to experience the, the, the hurts and challenges of life, might as well play full out. That's right. Let your knee get skinned. You know, it's going to heal, right? right? Like go out, like get on that court, get on that field and play instead of sitting on the sidelines thinking, but what if I get a bruise? What if I trip and fall? What if someone laughs at me? Like they're going to laugh at you anyway. You're going to trip and fall over your feet, stand on the sidelines, whatever, like go play. Um, Yeah. 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 And it's like, you know, I tell people you can prepare yourself. It's like some, you know, I see people, you know, you're like, people are manifesting and I'm like, but do you have a morning routine? Hmm. Because if you're getting on the court, like no Olympic athlete, it's like life is an Olympic game. So if you were to show up at the Olympics, not having stretched, trained, you've been eating, you know what I mean? (laughs) Any old whatever for the last three months, baby, you're going to struggle and you might, you're probably not going to win. But it's like, if you, you don't have to just, it's like, you can actually prepare yourself for the life Mm. you're calling in and you can prepare yourself for these big leaps. That's why I'm like, self-care is foundational for manifestation because it helps you establish, you sort of prepare your, your, you prepare yourself. You can prepare your nervous system to Mm. be set to regulated. You can actually change your default setting through a regular meditation or mindfulness practice, you can change your default setting to neutral, receptive, and calm. You can absolutely. So, so yes. So then you get on the court and you hurt yourself and you're like, oh, actually like, oh, I got, I got my ice pack. I got my water. I got my band-aids. Like you can prepare yourself so that you're not just having, you know, it's, I think people say like leap and the net will appear. And I'm like, okay, you can have a little like self-care kit for the, when you're falling. Mm. Because there's a period of time between the leap and the net where you're going to need a little, you're going to be absolutely falling and you need to have like, maybe bring a little blanket, you know, comfort yourself. (laughs) So like comfort, like tolerating, soothing yourself, like self-soothing, bringing yourself back so that you're not just like completely you know, it's so vulnerable. Like you said, you have to risk um, rejection in order to experience connection. Right. And so it's like, you know, I think sometimes people are like, I don't want to, like, I don't have it. Life be lifing. And sometimes we just like, I actually don't have the energy or the capacity to be like vulnerable Monday through Friday. Like I'm tired. You know, I go to work and then you got the, you know, it's like there you go. Are you parenting? There's like a lot of things that sort of deplete our resources. So we don't have, we don't have resources available to do the creating and to do the manifesting and to do the big leaps of faith. 
And so like restoring yourself and giving yourself space to return to that baseline, that homeostasis of like feeling good, like that is what, that is what um, prepares us to have this sort of thriving, vibrant life that you're describing, that you're talking about. It's like, there are things we can do to get ready. There are things we can do to make it less likely that disruptions are going to throw us off for a long period of time. I mean, I know, you know, when I first started off on my journey, a setback, you know, I would do a vulnerable thing and I would, I mean, I would be in hermit mode. I would have to recover. I would have to be in recovery after being, uh, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability hangovers. And so what I wanted to do was just reduce the amount of time that it takes me to recover from hardship. It doesn't mean I'm living in avoidance of hardship. No, it's the amount of time it takes me to get back to my baseline gets smaller and smaller and smaller and shorter every single time. And so just like knowing that, like, oh, I have, there's so many things that you can do to increase your capacity for living fully so that life doesn't have to just like kind of toss you around that you can yes. really be in collaboration because you're prepared. You've trained up. You're going to the Olympics after having a daily, daily practice of, you know, stretching and moving and nourishing and hydrating and doing your mental preparation. Like the, you can't show up to the game and think you're going to win if you've not done any training. That is so it's mm. like training, whatever that looks like to you. For me, it's breath work, it's meditation, it's nervous system regulation, but for other people, it could look different, but it's like, know what you need to do to show up at your most powerful and then honor that wholeheartedly. Mm. Change your life. I love that. I I totally agree. And I think, yeah, the emphasis, these are skills that you can learn, right? This yeah. is not a, some people have it and some people don't. Right. right. Let's go back into like tapping into your power. You can choose to practice these skills, right? Like you can choose to use meditation and breath work. You can choose to practice self-compassion. You can choose to make sure you're drinking water and resting yourself and nourishing yourself. And, you know, we talked about lifestyle design and I encourage those who are listening, like I'm hoping you're feeling inspired because I feel like this is just like a mindset, life-shifting conversation. And I encourage you to start with like one thing because yeah. sometimes we can feel overwhelmed and like, I will, where do I start? It's like, okay, maybe you need to drink more water. Maybe you're ready to start trying out meditation and you've heard about it in a way that like shifted your thinking about it this time. And you're like, okay, maybe that's going to be my training, but choose one thing and then do an experiment, do it for a week and see how it feels. And then add another thing. Right. And again, Jamila said, you know, you're creating your blueprint of your fantasy and then you want to create sort of these steps that you can take to build on things as you're getting closer. So it doesn't have to be everything all at once. It can be one thing and then another thing and build on it and be gentle and kind to yourself in the process. And remember that this is not about proving or performing to the world that you do the best self-care. It's about feeling good on the inside out so that your life is designed and feels the way you want it to feel. Um, I feel like we could talk about this for like hours. Like I am so loving this conversation with you and we're also like at time. So I just want to, yeah, it went by real quick. <laughs> I just want to thank you for sharing your wisdom and sharing your insights. And I know that people are going to want to connect with you further, want to know like what you're up to, what you're offering. So let people know about your website and Instagram. And I know, I don't know if you're still doing it, but that you sometimes offer guided meditations and things like that. So I'm imagining people are going to want to hear about that. So yeah. let us know where we yeah. can find you. So you can find everything that I offer on my website. It's jamilaready.me. Um, and my Instagram is at jamilaready. I, as of now, I'm doing free weekly Saturday morning breathwork and meditation on Zoom. It's open to all. You can just drop in. Sessions are no longer than 30 minutes. They're for all levels. And so just sort of just a grounding practice to anchor your week. Um, I have a library of masterclasses on my website about, you know, just really teaching the how. Something that I, it's so important to me is actually like, what are, you know, I talk about the toolkit and the strategies. It's like, no, these, how, what are they? 
how do I do it? Um, so I have a, a, a library of masterclasses that really get into the practical strategies and the techniques that you can use to sort of step into this role um, as the empowered creator of your life and to navigate, you know, the difficult moments, the, the lows. Um, so you could take a masterclass with me. I also offer one-on-one private coaching. So if you're interested in going deep with me, you can do um, a one-time 90-minute session or you can work with me long-term. Um, so there's lots of ways, but I'm out here on these internet streets. I'm on Instagram <laughs> and you can you know, scroll to your heart's desire. I, I offer a lot of tools and techniques on my page um, that I hope, you know, I, I intend that those really serve people you can like go through and hopefully take away something that can, you know, get you started. Like you said, that one small step. Um, so there's lots of resources there and yeah, I'm, I'm around and would love to hear from, would love to hear from y'all. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I so appreciate your time, your energy, your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And same to you. This was such a joyful conversation. Thanks for joining me this week on the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. Make sure to visit my website, dradiagoodin.com, and subscribe to the show on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. You can also follow me on social media at Dr. Adia Gooden. If you love the show, please leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Lastly, if you found this episode helpful and know someone who might benefit from hearing it, please share it. Thanks for listening and see you next episode. This episode was produced by Chris and Tiana and the music is by Wadaboy.